Matthew 11 verses 1 to 15. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he moved on from there to teach and preach in their towns. Now, when John heard in prison what the Christ was doing, he sent a message through his disciples and asked him, Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. As these men were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? See, those who wear soft clothes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no greater than John the Baptist has appeared, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence and the violent have been seizing it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. Let anyone who has ears listen. Hi there, good to be with you uh, today. It's kind of part two of my uh, farewell series. Uh, I feel a little bit nostalgic, so I've got my uh, Tuny Kids jumper on today. And don't worry, I've still got my uh, 180 shirt on as well. So everyone's included. But it's uh, good to be with you. Um, we are in a little mini-series looking at some uh, snapshots of Jesus in the book of Matthew. Now, last week we thought about gospel uh, grace. We looked at um, Jesus calling Matthew to follow him. Remember Matthew, um, the, the dodgy tax collector who kind of went on to write this very bit of the Bible that we're looking at uh, today. We thought about gospel grace, the free gift of God that brings us into his family, not because of who we are, but in spite of who we are. We're the sick who need a doctor. We just need to know it. We need to see Jesus as our hope and our freedom and our joy. Interestingly, right, though, as we go on in our Christian life, uh, we can forget that, that we are those who are saved by grace, that we are those who have been scraped off the floor and given a seat at the table, so to speak. We can forget the element of grace, how it's a gift to us. And as we go on, as we kind of sort our lives out a bit, we're in massive danger of pride in ourselves, pride in our actions, pride in our status. We kind of think of ourselves at a certain level and then other people are kind of above us or below us. We think of that in terms of our Christianness sometimes. We feel pride in our performance. We feel shame in our failures. Uh, we can look to, we can even aspire to some sort of Christian celebrity and acclaim, Christian cred. And it's dangerous, um, particularly for pastors, but for all of us in a way. There's a tendency um, to put ourselves or our favourite leaders on a pedestal. 
I remember at college, one of my lecturers saying there's a real danger in pastoral ministry. Ministry. People will want to put you on a pedestal and what's more dangerous, you're going to want to be there. True for pastors, but we're all susceptible to this in various ways. Uh, earlier this year, I got to go to the election synod where they kind of debated who would be the next archbishop. And after days of debate, one candidate uh, was chosen. And we'd heard endlessly about how he was a great preacher and a great leader and a great visionary and how he would be the best uh, for, for this reason and best for that reason. And then after all that, after we uh, welcome Kanishka in with a, with a standing ovation into, into the hall, he's got the guts to stand there and say that he was just an ordinary guy, a weak servant of the gospel like the rest of us. And I was like, no, we didn't elect you to be a weak servant. We elected you because you're the best. That's what we've been told all week. We want greatness. We want greatness. We want it in others. We want it in ourselves. And surprisingly right, we get it. We get greatness. Jesus shows us in the interaction that we've just read. Um, we have not just gospel grace as the sick who need a doctor, but we have gospel greatness too. Let's dive into the story. Let's have a look. And as we pick up the story in Matthew again, we see uh, John the Baptist. We read this is all the eyewitness report of Matthew the tax collector. And as Matthew opens the scene, we see John the Baptist. But as the curtains draw back on the scene, it's not the John the Baptist we remember from Sunday school. You know that picture of him out there in the desert wearing camel skin clothes and the long uh, wind whipped mane of hair, skin bronzed by the sun, eating locusts and wild honey, preaching to the multitudes, baptizing the Jordan River. At the height of his own fame and greatness, that's not what we see. And if you're not familiar with who John the Baptist is, he's actually uh, Jesus' cousin, a bit older than him. And John went out and about and he preached and he taught and he, and he baptized, of course, out in the Jordan River um, in Roman-occupied Israel around the first century. And he had a job. He was the one who knew that God's promised rescue was coming. He was the one that knew that the Old Testament promises were pointing towards this one person. John knew he was coming soon. And John knew that it was his job to get people ready for him. He told people to repent, to turn away from their rebellion against God. And John's out there ripping into the religious leaders and hypocrites. You can, all, you can read that all in Matthew chapter 3. He's getting ready for the great one to arrive. And finally that day came, the long-awaited day that um, history was all flowing towards. And it was just a, a regular day, a day like any other. John was baptizing in the Jordan River. He sees Jesus in the crowd and, and he knows, yeah, it's him. It's time. He's the one. And John's kind of dumbstruck. He gets to baptize Jesus in the water. And Jesus rises up out of the Jordan River. The, the heavens open. The Spirit um, comes down like a dove. And there's a voice from heaven. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Imagine getting to be that guy, right? The guy in the water with Jesus as this all happened. Wow. It's, it's greatness by association. I was, you're right there. That guy's pretty amazing, but you would hardly recognize him now in the story we just had read. This was all uh, some time ago, and Jesus said, well, he'd gone off, he'd done his thing, and some of his John's followers, they'd gone to follow Jesus too, and that's, you know, fair enough. Jesus was the, was the main event. John himself said, he must increase, I must decrease, John chapter 3. Um, he must become greater, I'll become less. He's on the way up, I'm on the way down. But tell you what, John had gone a long way down. Was this meant to happen? Chapter 11, verse 2. 
Now when John heard in prison what the Christ was doing, he sent a message through his disciples and asked him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? John, picture him, the, the wild men of the outdoors and open sky, now in prison. Wind swept hair now lying damp and limp against his pale face. The stone walls closing in along with the rest of the horrors of a first century prison. We don't even want to think about it. So John asked the questions. That, as the memories of that beautiful day down by the Jordan kind of fade into the light of the jail, he, he asked the questions. And he's asking questions and his friends pass his questions on to Jesus. The question is, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? John asks to Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Just feel the weight of that question as John asks it, right? Are you the one or not? Why is he asking this? Perhaps he's, he's in despair, in jail. I mean, he's a pretty tough bloke, but maybe jail has broken him. But, but maybe, maybe he's just confused. You know, I, I promised a Messiah coming out and he's going to bring fire and judgment and that's not really happening. Jesus, are you the one? Feel the weight of that question. Can you imagine what it is like for John if Jesus is not the one? John's entire life, his entire work, his declaration that Jesus is it. Had he got it wrong? Had he failed his one job? Had one job? job. John, did you do it? Was he kidding himself? Are you the one? Or should we expect someone else? Now, it'd be kind of nice here for, John, for Jesus to say, yep, yep, John, I am. Stay strong. Stick it out, John. It's been worth it. That's what I'd want to hear if I was John. But, but Jesus says this instead. Verse 4, Jesus replied to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor are told the good news. And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. Jesus doesn't say, go tell John that I'm the one. No, he says, look what's going on here. Tell John what is going on out here. People who are blind are getting their sight back. People who couldn't walk, well, they can now. People who, who were dead have been raised. Go tell John this. Now, firstly, this is, this is amazing, right? We, we can get used to the miraculous things we read, but if you kind of step back, this stuff just doesn't happen. If Jesus is doing these things, he's doing what only God can do. Is he the one we're waiting for? Well, if he's not, <laughs> what's someone else going to do that's going to top that? Go tell John what you see. But more than that, Jesus' words show John and us that this was always God's plan. As history rolled towards this point, this was God's plan. Isaiah in the Old Testament spoke of the time of God's rescue. Isaiah 35 uh, verse 4, Say to the cowardly, be strong, do not fear, here is your God, vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming, he will save you. And then the eyes of the blind will be opened. And the ears of the deaf unstopped, and the lame will leap like deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy, and water will gush in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. What Jesus is doing is, is what God promised to Isaiah. And the echoes keep coming. Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord God is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn. Yes, John, these things are happening. 
These promised things, they're happening now, Jesus says. Yes, I'm the one who is to come, the one with the Spirit of God, the one bringing rescue and judgment. And I know you want liberty for the captives as you sit there in jail, but be comforted because true freedom is coming. A freedom that I'm bringing that no Roman prison can take away from you. This is happening. Don't miss it. Keep your eyes open. Don't confuse who I am. These things are happening, John. And verse 6, Jesus says, Blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. Blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. I'm doing these amazing things, but your response now matters. Blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. The one who doesn't stumble and fall. The one not trapped or tricked. Blessed are you if you don't turn away, but you stand with me. Are you with me, John? Are you with me, John? Now, we never uh, hear John's answer. It's not, not recorded for us. We don't know his response. And, and kind of left in that kind of limbo. And, and we think not only of John's response to Jesus, but my response and your response. Are we with him? And this answer is so important. You know those moments in life where answers really matter, where the answers are really important? You know, times when getting the answers right is just critical. Um, you know, the exam that means you can graduate and, I don't know, be a doctor or something, or your driving test, and, and you've, got to, you've got to get it right in these situations. You can't enter the world of being a doctor unless you, you get it right, unless you recognize the symptoms properly. You can't enter the world of drivers unless you get it right, unless you recognize the stop sign and stop. Getting it right at the right time matters. And getting it right matters more than, than who is doing the test. It doesn't matter if someone else is great in your family. It doesn't matter if your mum's a neurosurgeon. It's your answer that matters on the test. It doesn't matter if your uncle's a great race car driver. It's your driving test. Your performance is what matters. And all those years of training or studying flow to this point where your answers matter. And for John, his response matters. Even for John. And he's one of the greatest people to ever live, Jesus says. Even he's still in danger at that point. Jesus says so. See, um, as God worked through Israel's history, he's sent prophet after prophet after prophet, preparing the way for his son Jesus, preparing the way for his rescue plan. He sent Moses and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Elijah and Malachi and eventually John, preparing the way for the Messiah. And Jesus says this in verse 11. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. John is the greatest. John is the greatest, Jesus says. But right now, when John isn't sure if Jesus is the one, as John doubts, listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, verse 11, No one greater than John the Baptist has appeared, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Read that all again. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. As great as John is, anyone in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. How do we know if someone's in the kingdom of heaven? How do we know if you are, if we are? Even if we're the least in the kingdom of heaven? Well, it's about our response to Jesus, as I said before. It's about us seeing who Jesus is and knowing who he is and not mistaking who he is. We come to him with our eyes open. It's those not offended by him who don't turn away from him. Those of us who are with him as he is with them, as he is with us. If you know Jesus, if you trust him, you are in his kingdom 
you are in the kingdom of heaven. And that makes you great, exceedingly great. Why? Because you are with the king. You are with Jesus. You share his greatness. The blessings for you are greater. The promises for you are greater. And we know Jesus wasn't promising that John's kind of getting out of jail if he believed. It's not a get out of jail free card here. It's not promising to do all these signs uh, for us in the here and now with the releasing and healing and all those kind of, as much as we want him to do those things. We'd love to have kind of renewed eyes and legs so people can see and dance. We want disease gone, pandemics ended. We want those taken from us to be returned, the dead to come back to us. But, But the promises and blessings are greater even than that for those who trust in Jesus. Those who are with him till the end as he holds on to us. And just like John, even when we can't see clearly, we know Jesus is the king. We know we are in his kingdom And when he returns or when he takes us home to his side, we will see clearly. We will dance and sing. There'll be no more death or disease. We will stand in his new creation. There'll be no pain, sickness, tears or mourning. We have greatness in that promise. We look forward to greatness in his presence because we are with Jesus. We have it because Jesus left his own position of greatness and he walked in our shoes, walked our path with us, walked it for us and won us life. Jesus came to unite us with him and we are united with him in his death. Greatness is being with Jesus in his death. Greatness is being with him in his new life. Uh, At this particular season, uh, the ideas of greatness and reputation are all kind of on my mind at the moment. What impression will I make as I start in a new church? Will I be liked? Will it all kind of work out well? How much are they looking to me to be to be great? Um, you as a church here, you're out to welcome a new lead pastor in the new year. And Mike is an excellent guy. He's going to do an excellent job. And you see, he and I are great and are really significant. Why? Not because of our skills or our position or, or whatever. Why? What makes us great? Well, something that makes you great. We are in Jesus. That's where our greatness is. That's where your greatness is too, in the kingdom of God. That's pretty amazing. You might not feel pretty great at the moment. I'll tell you what, lockdown and this season of change for me has kind of brought out the worst in my motivation and my productivity. And I I hear lots of stories of you guys suffering the same kinds of things. Uh, My own personal discipline and drive are just shot in this season. Maybe that's the same for you too. So I find it a great comfort, these things um, that, I, that I do, that they're not the things that determine my place in God's kingdom. My status as God's child comes only from being united with Jesus. So let me encourage you, if you're feeling the same way, look at Jesus, see him again. See Jesus as we see him here in Matthew, the one who comes to heal and to cleanse and to raise the dead. Don't be offended by him. Don't distance yourself from him, especially don't distance distance yourself from him because you don't feel good enough or worthy to be with him because the truth is you're not good enough. You're not worthy to be with him. But being his, being with him makes you great beyond all measure. Now, if we were sitting together at church, I'd get you to look around and look at each other and to see greatness. The greatness in the room, God's greatness reflected in each of your stories in each of your testimonies, in each of your lives, in the way sustained you through this season and now. I'd love to see you all and do that.
You have to imagine God's greatness reflected in each of us. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we bear the family likeness. We bear the family greatness. Ordinary people who are made great in the kingdom of the extraordinary God. Who we are as people who trust Jesus are those who don't mistake his identity. Those who see who he truly is. We, we see the, the vast flow of ancient history flowing relentlessly towards the moment where Jesus was revealed. As we wait for his return, we see our own lives flowing towards this question, who is Jesus and are we with him? Are we offended and turn away or are we his? His own people. Do we stand with him as he holds on to us? Be comforted now as highly valued members of his kingdom. May the hope of glory sustain us until the day he returns or calls us home. Let's pray. Father, whether we right now we feel on top of the world or if we feel like we're languishing in prison like John the Baptist, you know us and love us and call us your children. May we know the comfort and joy and privilege of that. Thank you that Jesus walked with us, walked in our steps, uh, walked in our steps for us and bore the death that we deserved so that we could be united with him. And with him, we call you not just King or Lord, but Father. Thank you for our place in the greatness of your kingdom. We thank you in Jesus' great name. Amen.